welcome to Motorcycles and Misfits. Coming at you for the recycle garage. Shut up. Calm down. Motorcycles and Misfits coming at you for the recycle garage in uh, sunny Santa Cruz, California. Not bad for uh, for autumn, I say. Yeah, no, it's sunny. Yeah. Good one. I tried to catch you drinking. But you, uh, you were ready. I see. I always like no. Like there's a 50-50 um, chance. Of blasting I should out point there. out, Nock is used to talking with his mouth full. Yeah. Yes. It amazingly habits. sounds exactly the same. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and still as uh, unintelligible as uh, a <laughs> mouthful. Hey everyone, this is Liza. Uh, let's get to who is here in the train room. You know. There's a lot fewer trains than motorcycles now. Eventually, should we call it the motorcycle room, or should it's we stick the motorcycle the train toy room? room? I mean, look at all of them it's, in here. It's yeah, fabulous. I like that. There's still some trains left. Um, hey, everyone. This we, is we should call it the expansion chamber. <laughs> 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 this is Liza running the board tonight. It's Stumpy John. What's up, everybody? This is John coming at you from the board. <laughs> we are we are the board. Resistance is futile. We will meet you. And of course, on the classy girl couch tonight, it's everyone's favorite. It's Miss Emma. <laughs> Hello, darling. You know, I never know what to to make of that intro. I mean, that's a very very hard intro to follow, isn't classy, it? Classy. I'm I'm going here. For I am, darling. Sassy girl couch. Oh yes. <laughs> Who owns that voice? Who is behind? Well, that interestingly enough, dulcet tone. I haven't added it up, but he may be the. The record have the record for the most reoccurring visits as a guest. You think so? I think this you is my a, third or fourth time here. I think you get the most smoking jacket like in Saturday Night Live, like a five timers club. Or something. <laughs> yeah, I think so. You get a green <laughs> jacket. Join the club. We've got jackets. Next time. Yeah. Hey, he's, de- he's definitely the most manly one we've had. It's <laughs> everyone's favorite Viking. It's Cat McLeod. I'm, I'm supposed to say something to that thing. You got to say something. Oh, you're not really a Viking. I'm a favorite Viking. All right. I know. You. <laughs> I like you got another Viking that we have. We have multiple Vikings. What other Vikings have you brought in here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm on it, really. <laughs> uh, and sitting across from me, giving me the nice crotch shot. Yeah. It's knock. I got other crotch shots you can do. You can follow me on Instagram. Could, could you turn the chair just a little bit to the left? Right. I I'm missing a, out. Uh, only fans. No, no you're really not. Cat. Okay. Yeah, how you guys doing? <laughs> and, of course, coming to us from his uh, garage, it's Bagel. Greetings, where I have all the room to man spread that I want. Yeah. <laughs> I'm jealous. Oh, Very good. Um, I would suggest, are you naked from the waist down, Bagel? Because we can only see you from the waist up. <laughs> Maybe. Okay. Does the carpet match the drapes? That's the question. Ooh. Oh, Fishnets Keto Jr. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Very nice. That is um, not the question. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kat, if you didn't know, so Bagel moved up to Oregon and found this house with this amazing shop out back. Oh, it nice. It even has a urinal in it. He, he bought a garage with a house Proper. attached to it. I know. Yes. He got Very a urinal much. with a shop attached to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've yep. also. Why can't why can't we have urinals in our own homes? I mean, come on, why not? We you never see can. it. It's just expensive, I think. Right? What? Yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's better for water. Car. That's a really good well, idea. Yeah. Uh, Porcelain's not cheap. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say, but how often do you have to buy urinal cakes? I mean, maybe it's just talk another, to your architect. You know, another yeah. thing. Talk to your architect. Where's Mikey when you need um, it? <laughs> 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 He'll put what in. My my advice is go for used. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> How used. Yeah. Um, uh, lightly I, used, preferably. It's uh, it's actually Halloween. This is the first time we've ever Ooh. recorded 
Ooh. It's spooky. It is spooktacular, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It is. So I thought um, I thought one of the, the themes of tonight's show is talking about things that scare us, or in this case, things that make you scream. There's a video we've been sharing around. Knock, uh, you didn't see the video yet, did you? Do I want to? Oh, God, oh. it's horrible. Hold on. Uh, what is it? What, I got to show Knock. Is it the giant oh. so we can like get a spider? live reaction. It, it is an awful video. It's Nock. like it's, it's a horror video. show is what it is. <laughs> Wait, okay. Hold on. And what is it? Gory? Is what's going yeah, on? Yeah, no. well, it has uh, a gory component to it. Yeah, yes, does yeah. somebody get fucking dismembered or something? You, you, no, it's not like Your sense no, of empathy will definitely be tested. So... Emma, okay. you want to set this up for us? Um, She's got the dog on So her. one of our regular um, visitors to the show, not quite as regular as Kat, but certainly a very regular, is none other than Miss Jocelyn Snow. And mm. Jocelyn is selling off her collection of motorcycles and has a priceless original paint, Kenny Roberts RZ350, mm. oh, in her no. collection. And here is a video oh, no. of her describing the bike with a bike behind her. Okay. Oh, shit! <laughs> <laughs> so what, what you actually saw... <laughs> oh, my God! <laughs> That's exactly right. Oh, yeah. The bike rolled off its... Um, kickstand and just ended up in a crujiente heap behind her. Oh, that's fucking dog shit. Oh, that was uh, so bad. You yeah. can, if you want to see oh. it, it's on Jocelyn Snow's Instagram. Yeah, so she had it just sitting behind her in the driveway. She's Yikes. standing in front talking about it. So she's selling a bike a day. That's <clears throat> starting on Monday, uh, November 1st. And so she's doing a little, here's about the bike that she'll post every day. Mm -hmm. And that was what she was recording, and it just fell over. And it's like <laughs> horrifying. Yeah, it's so bad. Yeah. And the noise. Oh, dude. Yeah. I know. So, like now she has to say never stunted. Bagel, you should once. go look at like, it oh, on God. Jocelyn Snow. Look up Jocelyn yeah. Snow Instagram. Uh, so we've been all watching that, and everyone screams the same way. <laughs> that is, that is, <laughs> like, that's pretty bad, dude. It's like, I'm not, uh, I'm not a fan bad. of that. <clears throat> Oof. Yeah, I know. Um, and then, uh, let's see. Emma, you had a new toy today. You were playing with in the garage, a new tool. And it, too, was following the Halloween theme because it kept making all the lights turn off. Yes. So I bought myself a plastic welder. Um, mm. And, you know, plastic welder is wonderful because if you have um, a bike come down the shop that has a broken side panel and it's a machine that is just completely you can't get parts for you have to repair what you've got so i've been after a plastic welder for a while and they are just gruesomely expensive mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i bought myself one um but is it, it just like a hot air gun with a thin nozzle or yes or it, it, basically that's what it is yeah. it's it a very like a, almost like a grease gun with a cord mm -hmm. yeah and mm -hmm. it it looks like a cross between a hairdryer and a grease gun with a cord and it just blows incredibly hot air out mm -hmm. and melts to a very very fine point and then you feed in the plastic rod mm -hmm. it's just like welding yeah, yeah. Um, but of course it kept blowing the fuse and that was spooktacular <laughs> I can't believe this little thing just, yes. just, just kept blowing the fuse the right. 
Yeah. Like a thousand amps or something. Yeah, so <laughs> a billion trillion amps. And then um, there's an, well, you know what? We're going to save it. There's another thing. We're, we're going to be talking about all sorts of things. Things. We're going to be talking uh, about the things. Oh, sorry. Um, death and, and fear and all the things because it's appropriate right now. But I want to uh, get to. Eliza. Yeah. Eliza. What? Can you turn down your phone, please? Yeah, I turned it on so he could watch the video. <laughs> I've already switched my phone to silent mode. Some of us were prepared. Let's all just give her the stink eye here for a minute. Hey, I had to turn it back on. Um, Kat, for, yes. I'm sure people will remember, but you run Layout Escapes, where mm-hmm. you do these fantastical dream trips to different countries like Italy, Spain, mm-hmm. Australia. Did I make that one up? Yeah, no, we do Australia. Yeah, yeah. Where you take people on an amazing tour and spoil them and then take them to a MotoGP track mm-hmm. and have a track day. It's it's a dream trip. Track days. Um, track days. Yeah. So I'm curious, COVID hit uh, mm-hmm. last year. How well, how did that affect your business? Well, uh, for, for obvious reasons, uh, last year was completely shut down. Uh, and that sucks. yeah, you know, it, it really did suck. Um, interesting. Since I have partners all over the world, I was able to get, you know, COVID perspectives uh, about two weeks before things got bad here. I kind of already knew, uh, mm-hmm. what was happening at, I, I'd already gone to Costco, but the one thing that I could not have been prepared for, which was uniquely United States toilet paper. Oh, wow. <laughs> that, that was a uniquely United, United States phenomenon. Really? Yeah, I couldn't have predicted that. Yeah, so it did suck. Yeah, a whole year gone. So this year, we pushed um, four tours to as late in the season as we could, hoping, you know, I was watching the numbers every day, global data all the time. And I got pretty good. I could actually sort of predict what governments were going to do based upon the data. And that's the thing. I mean, here in the States, uh, things were pretty lax compared to the rest of the world. A lot of countries did not play around at no. all. I think I mentioned um, just last month, last month or a month before, when I was in Pakistan, that just to get into McDonald's, you had to have proof of uh, your vaccine card, yes. take uh, your temperature taken, and have a mask just mm-hmm. to get in. Yes, They had security outside McDonald's. So I'm curious, what was it like in other places? Um, I think the most extreme example was northern Germany, where every I, I spent some time in Hamburg, and every citizen uh, has an app on their phone called Luca. Mm-hmm. And in order to go into a shop of any kind, a bar or whatever, you hold your phone up to the QR code and say, I'm checking in. I'm now entering this establishment. And that way, if anybody tests positive, you know, they can send you a message that, yo, you were in the bar at the same time somebody else has also t- you know tested mm. positive. You should go get tested. Uh, and I did actually see um, some tourists from Bavaria who came up f- in to visit Hamburg, and they got uh, shown out of the shop. It's like I'm sorry if you don't have Luca, you um, out you go, because it was the it, those were the rules of Hamburg. Bavaria obviously uh, not as extreme. Well, it wasn't uncommon for restaurants to ask to see uh, vaccination cards. Um, you know, masks were worn in any areas where. People were in large groups in enclosed areas. That was that was pretty normal. Public transit, restaurants, businesses. That that was pretty standard. Uh, and we just we just adapted, and you know we did our we did our tours. Uh, four of them, all in a row. <laughs> <laughs> wow! I worked for thirty six days straight. 
as wow. a tour guide. Yeah, that was, um, I knew it was going to be tough. Uh, I did it and I'm glad I did it. I made a lot of people's, you know, a lot of people really wanted to get out. Right. Yeah, yeah. But I, for a very, very short time, I worked in the tourism industry myself as a tour bus driver. And what people don't realize about the tourism industry, and I, th- I want to say we briefly talked about this before, there's a direct line between how good the tour is and how hard you as a tour guide work. And you can't get away from that. As much as yeah. these tours are fun and a wonderful experience, they're damned hard work for you as the tour guide, aren't they? Yeah, and a lot of that comes with planning bef- long before the tour, where you, you know you're booking this, booking that, making sure you have reservations, everybody's in, so the you know the general manager of the hotel has a complete list of everybody's arriving, all their passport numbers, so a check-in is totally smooth. Lots of stuff happens behind the scenes that clients don't realize, but also those things that pop up on the tour right. that you just can't predict, and we call those uh, cucumbers. What? Um, it's my Italian. Is this like snakes and cucumbers? I mean, uh, cats and cucumbers? No, no. This is uh, my Italian partner, uh, and you'll actually see it because we're part of the first pickle squadron. If anybody who's a guide uh, for the Layout Escapes tours is part of the first pickle squadron, and it's our job to turn cucumbers into pickles. Um, it, it comes from this this tale that my uh, Italian partner says anytime the tour starts, the air is filled with invisible flying cucumbers, and we never know when one of them is going to fly straight up your ass. And this represents, <laughs> I left my passport at the hotel. Yeah. I forgot my wallet at the gas station, or just all sorts of little problems. You know, I've got a flat tire, or, or just all, and we just have to work and turn those cucumbers into pickles. And that makes sense. I mean, as not can tell us, it's much better to have a pickle up your ass than a cucumber. Yeah, it depends how you feel that day, I guess. <laughs> it's the sting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> depends what kind of fetish you're into, I think. Right. Um. So, and what countries did you visit? Uh, Let's see. We did, uh, well, uh, the tours we did, we did um, Munich to Mugello, otherwise known as Blues Heaven, uh, for one of my very good friends who works uh, for Carter's uh, here, Carter's Track Days. We got a group of all of his buddies, and we arrived in Munich, went through the Alps, then went down to Mugello, did three days uh, on Mugello with Troy Corser. And then uh, back up uh, through the Alps, back to Munich. It was a pretty long tour. Uh, two days were pretty brutal in terms of uh, long distances, uh, but incredible sport touring, and probably the fat, the fastest tour group I have had and ever will have. The guys were just mm-hmm. insanely good. Mm-hmm. Nice. And what was everyone riding this time? Um, on that tour, uh, everyone was on various BMWs. Most of them chose to go with the GS. Um, I had an S1000XR, 2019. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Yes, it's well, that is a good bike. Sporty, very sporty. Um, next tour, uh, we did Check Out Bruno, which was my personal uh, birthday, 50th birthday party. <gasps> Congratulations, yes. yeah. you made it. Yeah, and well, it was also the other big celebration was it was my 10th MotoGP circuit that mm. I had ridden. So that's my claim nice. to fame. I am nice. the slowest rider to ever ride 10 MotoGP circuits. But it worked out really well. Uh, the other thing, the, the secret sauce to all of our tours is not where we go and what we do, but the people who come along with us. Mm-hmm. And because motorcycle riders particularly track riders gel together really well and this group gelled together really well even though many of them didn't know each other uh and we did the austrian alps and then through across austria into bohemia the country roads of the czech republic were amazing uh far better than i thought they were going to be except for 
little issue in the Czech Republic of road repair. Oh. They um they just put up road closed. No detour. <laughs> oh. And now it's up to you to try to figure out um <laughs> how on earth do I get to where I was going? How far is the road closed? Uh, and so you do a little work. You search for the, the dirt paths off into the farm country. Yeah. Um, or in other cases, um, very surprised locals are like, you're here? You're, you're from America? What are you? T- oh, please let me help you. And it's, it's another reminder <laughs> that there's people all over the world just ready to dispense some love to, to travelers. They were so honored that we had, honestly, because of the COVID data, I thought we were going to have to sneak into the Czech Republic. It was just two days before the tour when the Czech Republic actually allowed us in. Mm. So we were there wow. technically legally, but the local guy was just absolutely thrilled. You're from America in, in his tiny little village. It was the highlight of his day that he got to help uh, a bunch of riders trying to find their way around the, the roadblock. That just reminded me of a moment I had in Pakistan where I was on a a dirt road going over a mountain pass and there was construction and there was um, one of the big, uh, what do you call it, with the bucket and the claw and then dumping stuff into a truck. Mm -hmm. And I I was like waiting for them to stop to let me pass. They didn't. So I had to just like everyone else, we just had to ride between them underneath a moving bucket (laughs) dumping because they're just like, that's what you do. Right, Bagel, you get it. Like, the yeah. Bagel went over a broken bridge dangling into the water, and they're like, just life goes on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is crazy. You find um, a way. So one of the things that, um, I, I mean, I know everyone wanted to get out of this country. Yeah. I would think it maybe wasn't as hard to find people willing to travel right now. There were a lot of people who had hesitations. Uh, um, I think 20, yeah. 2022 is going to be a huge year uh, for us because there's so much pent-up demand. But people wanted to get out. Yes. But getting out, there's a lot of logistics. There's a lot of mm-hmm. people have to pass tests. You have got to do this yep. and that and this and that. Uh, so as a tour host, as a tour guide, what yeah. a pain in the yeah. yeah, there's some standard procedures we had to go through. Everyone had to get tested. Usually they had to get tested for the airlines. Mm-hmm. Um, coming into the EU, uh, the Schengen zone pretty much just wanted to see your vaccination card. They didn't mm-hmm. necessarily want to see a test. Um, that was the case for all of the tours, in, including Spain uh, and, and Italy. And then when I came back, you know, I, I got tested uh, again. And then I was really surprised when I came back through the San Francisco airport. They didn't <coughs> ask to see my test. Mm. Hmm. Oh well, once you got on the plane, that's it. Yeah, but the, even the, the 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 airlines in the United States definitely want to see your test before you get into the Schengen zone. I agree. I mean, and when we flew to Pakistan, we had to take a test forty eight hours before flying, and then we had to take a test at the airport when we landed. Ah. Coming back into the states, same thing. Just oh, just let you go through. Yeah, there was no surprising. further testing. So, hmm. um, yeah, that'd be America. I yeah. know. Did you have anybody who tested positive who had to like drop out? Did you have nope. any debt? No, Good. none of that happened. Um, no, more of the challenges this time were the, the amount of tours that I was doing all back to back and the fact that every tour I ran this year was a brand new tour with new hotels, vast mm. majority of them new routes, roads I'd never been on before, fuel stops I'd never done before. Uh, yeah, but you, know, you do the job. So how did you feel um, traveling uh, during time of COVID? Was it, was it, did it make you nervous or did you 
feel comforted by the extra protocols in some of these places. Most of the countries have those extra protocols in place and people generally were following them. Uh, it was, it's, not, it's not an issue in the EU. Right. People wear their masks, people get vaccinated. This, 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 the, the only that there's an extreme minority that are protesting and it's all political. Mm-hmm. It, it really has nothing to do with the actual data or anything. So, so 2022, I think you're right. I think it is going to be. Big. I certainly hope so. Uh, John and I are both doing tours at Pakistan. We're already got a, a list of people. I'm so signing envious. up. Um, so I'm curious, what are you running for next year? Um, I'm putting out a survey uh, probably next week. We mm-hmm. have eight potential tours that we could run. Uh, let's see. Let's start with um, Spain, uh, mm-hmm. Jerez, mm-hmm. and Jerez. Andalusia, the, yeah, the, the Moorish, yeah. you know, wonderful world of Andalusia, which is completely different than the other parts oh, of yeah. Spain. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of twisty curves, great route. Lots of uh, castle stays and oh, funky hotels. I like a castle. Yeah. And, of course, the, the home of the Spanish GP, which right. is Jerez, which is a very challenging physical circuit, <laughs> a bit narrow in a few places. Um, next, we're, we've got our classic we've run a number of times, and it's always a pleaser, and that's uh, the Pyrenees and Aragon. Uh, great fun, huge circuit, Aragon, massive. Again, more castle stays. Dinners are always included on these tours So though in Spain, so they're a little bit more expensive, but for what you get for the price, it's definitely worth it. Uh, and then finally, we, we tested a new tour this year uh, that was uh, Catalonia and Costa Brava. Mm. Oh, Costa yeah, Brava is the, yeah, it's the north uh, eastern part uh, coast mm-hmm. on the Adriatic. It's absolutely gorgeous. The best tour for hotel views from the balconies. Absolutely <laughs> gorgeous stuff off into the sea. Yeah, I'm looking Great at it curvy right roads. And you can see why this particular region has spawned so many great motorcycle racers. Because yeah. there's just curves everywhere. There's a right. huge off-road community. Um, and as always with Spain, no traffic. Right. It's just wonderful. Starting in Barcelona. If if no one has ever been to Spain, mm-hmm. save up your money and go. It is the most glorious country. Yeah, my brother went there to help right. set up a restaurant or whatever, and uh, he said it was one of the most fun times he's had up there. It's just people n- nice. The food is amazing. Just the general yeah. area is pretty bitching. And as as you point out, northern Spain is just an absolute yeah. Catalonia jewel. is Catalonia is its own distinct region. Um, in yeah, it's it's great stuff. Anyway, on to Italy because everyone loves Italy. Ciao. Yes, uh, we have two tours, uh, potential tours in Italy. One for certain that will run will be Corsica and Sardinia. Uh, the which is my Italian partner Enrico. It's his favorite roads in all of Europe. Is the roads on Corsica and Sardinia. Great sport touring, and then just a just a little bit of dessert at the end. One day of uh, track riding on Mugello with Ducatis. Wow. Yeah, it's a, a special one. Nice. The other one we do is our classic Italy tour through Tuscany and Umbria. Pop up to Bologna, see the Ducati factory, and then three days on Bologna with Troy Corsa on mm. an S1000RR. Slicks are an option. Wow. Mm. Yes. So now that Rossi's uh, retiring, you're yes. going to get him on one of your tours? <laughs> Rossi <laughs> has plenty on his plate. Uh, we, we, uh, we, uh, I did the, the final tour this year is we did go see his last home race. And, uh, and uh, it was a tearful farewell. Um, but... You know, he's, he's, he's got plenty to do. He'll be running his own race team next year. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah, everyone came to that race basically to say goodbye. Everyone yep. said it had the big Grazie Valle uh, signs, and it, there are plenty of Italians left to root for, so it's not a problem there. Anyway, on to the other possibilities coming out of Munich. Coming out of Munich, we could do the Red Bull Ring and the Austrian Alps. Mm. Uh, this would be mostly an, an Alps tour and then three days on Red Bull Ring again with Troy Corso. And I'm insisting on doing Troy Corso on this one because the Red Bull Ring is a particularly dangerous circuit. It is very fast, tight turn, very mm -hmm. fast, tight turn, very fast, tight turn. So we need some schooling uh, and coaching on there to really make sure the people are hitting their brake markers and doing the turns safely and whatnot. Uh, the other one, which we just ran, uh, possible, is again to do check out Bruno, ride through Bohemia, get a little bit of Alps time in and then go through Bohemia and then three days uh, on the track again uh, in Bruno. The track surface in Bruno is probably the only thing that's a slight consideration. Uh, it heats up tires and eats up tires. Your tires get pretty hot. So you can chew through a slick in a day uh, mm. on Bruno. And you kind of got to watch it because your rear tire will start to overheat. And when it does, it will suddenly let go unexpectedly. So you do kind of have to watch yourself on Bruno. But an, an incredible circuit, very wide. The widest track I've ever been on with a lot more elevation changes than are really evident that you see on TV. <clears throat> um, what else out of Munich? Have you considered doing sushi and Yamahas in Japan? Uh, I would absolutely love to. Uh, what I need is track bikes. If I can find a good supply of track bikes, mm -hmm. uh, Montegi is definitely mm. uh, on, on the definitely something we'd like to do because Japan is another world, and I'm certain I can mm -hmm. find good local guides uh, for Japan. I know I could probably spend a week in Tokyo beforehand just with my jaw open at the incredibleness <laughs> yeah. of it. Uh, but yeah, Japan is definitely on my view screen. I'm just looking for suppliers uh, mm -hmm. to get it done. If there's anyone in Japan listening yes, right now, yes, please. Who has I'm, a I'm looking for a fleet of good, reliably well prepared track bikes, not just any old track bikes. Uh, I need like ten of them. Liza has a connection for Atlas Hondas. If that, makes <laughs> <you> <laughs> <know>. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If you want some some 150ccs, yeah. Uh, the potential tour obviously is um, Australia. Um, we're hoping Australia will open mm -hmm. up finally again uh, late in the season next year, probably November, to do our uh, classic run, which we've done many times through the uh, snowy mountains, the Blue Ridge Mountains, ride the Elmio Highway, and then two days on my favorite still MotoGP circuit of Phillip Island and staying in the beautiful resort town of Coes. Okay, so hear me out. I have a suggestion. Mm. Yeah, here we go. And I think Bagel might back me up on this. Uh, riding Vespas in Italy. <laughs> Hold on. Yeah. Followed up with Vespa Cross. Have you checked out Vespa Cross? Oh, I'm sure I'd absolutely love it. Oh my God. It's crazy. <laughs> it's fucking bananas. Can you imagine my big carcass on a Vespa? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, yes, okay, Bagel can. <laughs> He's nodding. He's like, yeah, you can. <laughs> you got to try a 300. Yeah, I once rolled into uh, Grieving Chiante where they were having a massive Vespa. And we saw that the entire square of Grieving Conte, which is pretty big, was packed full of smoking two strokes as they all took off. It mm -hmm. was it was amazing. Mm. Nice. Yeah. I think yeah, I still think that Vespa Cross is one of the craziest two wheeled races <laughs> out there. You could have fun with that. Yeah. Um Bagel, there isn't anything like that uh, currently, is there? Mm, not, not that I know of. Mm -hmm. Um 
there are some places where you can rent scooters in Italy. Um, but I don't know of any organized tours like that. Like, 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 like you do cat. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's, there's opportunity there. Um, I don't know of any, uh, any opportunities to ride Vespa cross if you don't have your own bike, though? That yeah. would be yeah. Uh, Hi, I'm going to rent this Vespa and I'm going to take it to uh, to Vespa cross. Yeah. No, you no, you have to have a <laughs> yeah. Vespa cross uh, right. bike. They're oh yeah, no, they're right. they're they're fully butchered up and, and set up. Would you for like the additional insurance? Yes, I. Would. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Well, um, let's remind everyone where they can find out more about your tours. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, layoutescapes.com. L-E-O-D uh, escapes.com. Generally, we're looking for track riders. Uh, people, if you're an intermediate rider or better, can hold your line steady on the track, then this is the dream for you. So if you are not a confident uh, rider of mm. fast bikes, maybe this isn't the tour. No. Uh, it, or it's, is this it's where time you go to, if you want to become it's time a better rider? To, it's time to go to Yamaha Champions Riding School, do yeah. some right. track time, and get yourself trained up. It is This is not something that you just do by going out and doing laps. You have to do quality laps and train and work on things. Every time I get on a bike, whether it's on the track or on the street, I'm working on something. Because I have no natural talent whatsoever. Everything is from learning from coaches and practicing. Well, if you could get some um, cheap 15-year-old previously crashed bikes, Nock might be interested. <laughs> That's what he's most comfortable That's on. That's my fetish. Get a, get a rat bike. A bunch <laughs> of rat bikes. Exactly. But um, we had a little chat outside, and it's... It, as good a value as these are, hmm. these are higher end tours, aren't yes. they, Cat? Yeah. I mean, the nice hotels, good food, yes. very high end bikes, luggage uh, van, right? So it it it's an absolute top of the market tour. Yeah, I, I checked yeah. out the prices. It seems like if you wanted to go do the hotels and the traveling that you do, this the price isn't that far off of just what it would cost you to be there. Anyway. No, honestly, we're, we're nobody nobody does motorcycle tourism because they're in it for the money. <laughs> honestly you know and when i look at the prices compared to some of the the other tour operators um uh, yeah we're we're, we're offering uh, we're offering quite a lot for your for your money yeah well especially with the connections you have and the track time yeah it's oh, yeah. it's the track bikes and quality track bikes and quality street bikes an example a destination like spain Spain is filled with motorcycles, but not necessarily a bunch of motorcycles that you would want to ride. <laughs> oh, you go to any city in Spain, and they have these Rehu mopeds, which make an enormous <laughs> amount of noise and do about 20 miles an hour top of speed. And there's whole fleets of them in various states of disrepair. I don't think there's mm-hmm. a single complete one. Do you think I can find a good smoking bull taco there? Um, you know, Boltacos are very revered bikes. You've got to remember that Boltacos haven't been made for 40, how many years? Yeah. You know, so it's every inch the collector bike out You'll there. find a fair amount of Montessas. As yes. Well. Uh, right. Yes. Well, Kat, you had come up with an idea of a great topic for us tonight. <clears throat> and staying in line with the whole Halloween theme. Ooh. Um, but also, you didn't realize that it is in line with something that um, has been going through my head a lot lately. And really, the topic is what what scares you? You know, in riding, I'm going to say in wrenching, what yeah. scares you? Because a lot of people are scared of wrenching. They're scared of messing something up. 
Um, like Charlie, you stripped stripped a hole on his engine case today, today on oh. the brand new. Bike. Oh yes. Oh, oh no. Which bike? No, the the, uh, the new Ninja Four Hundred. Oh, was he trying to torque something down with a torque wrench? No. I think he put the wrong length bolt in. Oh, he was putting no. on, on the sliders onto yeah. the engine case. Yeah. And I think oh. the bolt was too short. And he's using a little, like, six-inch uh, wrench on a little quarter drive. Yeah. And he's just turning it with his wrist and pop, and the oh. and the threads came out. Whoa. But so I think it was like too short. I only got, yeah. got, like, three threads in. It started tightening. That'll do it. So he just put a longer one. I think it's fine. But okay. you know what scares you? And here's why it's relative. And I've kind of been talking about this some um, on the air, some not. But uh, I realize that I've definitely hit a, a certain age where um, my risk and reward is changing. My riding is changing. And I'm going out and riding my bikes that I'm familiar with on the roads I've been riding for years. And I feel a bit insecure. I'm like, where is this coming from? It's in my head. Okay. And I'm like, I like, I don't suddenly, I don't trust the tires. I don't trust the road. Mm. And I'm like, I think it's because as I'm getting older and if I was to go down at all, it's a much bigger deal for me at my age and the condition I'm in. And it's kind of been getting in my head. And I'm like, do I need to push through or do I need to just back off and accept I'm a slower rider now? Allow me to set the stage on for this whole mm-hmm. discussion, if I can. Fear while you're riding is a paralytic. And in some cases, mm-hmm. fear is more dangerous to you than the actual potential danger that's yeah. coming to you. Because fear yeah. suddenly causes you to... How many times do you go... <gasps> And when yeah. you're doing that and you're suddenly doing those inhales, you're freezing on the bike. You're not committing mm-hmm. to an action. You're not committing. And oftentimes you're staring right at the thing that's the potential danger yeah. and not looking where you need to go. So there's a difference between being afraid and being cautious. Because when you're cautious, you have a plan. When you're, when you're mm-hmm. afraid, you're just setting yourself up, up for disaster. So working past that fear is important. And the best way to work past these fears is, again, you have to have a plan. Yeah. And so that means training and practice. Yes. And actually, I was talking to Jim about that last week that I was saying we should go out one weekend to a parking lot with cones, set up a little gym kind of kind of thing and just kind of do figure eights and circles and, and you know, all just U-turns and just on our on our big bikes and just do drills. Over and over, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's the fear of losing control of the equipment or not aware. You know, of- I don't know what it's just going up nine, which we do all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Going up it, and I'm just as I'm leaning into a corner, I get start to get that like <gasps> tensing up. Yeah, like, do I trust? You, you get that. certain a pa- past a certain lean angle, and I my body starts to go. <gasps> I'm like, what's well, happening? I'm you're used, on a really like, yeah. I used to like do some of those turns. There's one turn that there's a tree that you kind of have to. Watch out for your head if you're leaning yeah, into yeah. the turn. And I'd always see how close I could get my head to it. And now I'm like, ah. I'm like, what's going on? Like, uh, is this is this specific feel sensation? Is this like uh, because you have a taller bike now? I mean, if you had, no. I'd imagine if you had your Ducati, it'd be a lot be easier because they are lower to the ground and you have a better sense of like how far you are and what your tires are doing. But if you have like a Africa Twin, which is like in what ten plus inches of suspension travel and uh, uh, knobbies and your upright. Position. No, it's on any of my bikes really. But mm. I'm just I'm thinking about that would suck. This would hurt. Yeah, this would like you know comfort like, at lean angles. Sounds to me like what we're talking about. That yeah. I didn't think about that 
when I was younger, 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. I didn't think about that. You just went out and rode and did mm. it. Now it's creeping into my head about, oh, this is going to hurt. This is going to suck. I won't be able to get work, okay. you know? Yeah. And it's the, it's the risk versus reward, I feel like. Right. But I think a lot of people, as you get older, well, then let's your priorities give you a plan. change. No, I'm working on I'm just sharing that, like, it was interesting that you said, talk about your fears, because I'm having to face the fact that I'm having fears on my bike that I haven't had. Now, when I was 17, I I crashed a bike on the freeway, and it wasn't good. And um, a few months later, when I decided I was ready, healed and ready to get back on, first time I got on that bike, took off down the road, and my arms and legs started shaking involuntarily. I was like, what the fuck? Went back home. Hmm. Tried it again another time, and they started shaking. I crashed from a high-speed wobble. So you don't want your arms shaking <laughs> when you're riding. And I found every time I got up to like 30 miles an hour, my arms and legs would shake. And I made the decision. Uh, I was Then I was just 18. It was after my birthday. Motorcycling is important enough to me that I need to push through this. I'm not going to back down right yeah, now. And about right. I got on that bike and I went and got on the freeway. And I was shaking and I finally, after a couple miles, the shaking stopped mm -hmm. and I was able to work through it and continue riding from that point on. But there was a wall I had to physically get through. Mm. And I'm like, okay, I know what this feels like. I'm at that wall right now. Something has set in. It's a fear block. I'm at that wall. I need to go work through it. So I know what I need to do and okay. I know that it'll work. I need, I need to go do that. Whoa. But it's weird to me, and I'm just I'm sharing the fact that I'm going through this, and I <laughs> I didn't like I don't know where it came from. That's like my first wheelie after my shoulder healed. Mm. I was like, all right, I can do this. I, uh, I knew exactly what went wrong, and I was like, all right, let's do wheelie. We did a wheelie, and I went, okay, cool. It landed all right. Well, here's good. The, there you go. Here's the plan for you. Mm -hmm. Okay, the plan for you since you're feeling uncomfortable with lean angle, then let's make sure that when you're at lean angle, you're at the safest part of the time to be leaned over. And that means trail breaking to just the right point and well, then doing your lean angle when your bike is going the slow. You want to have your highest amount of lean angle at your slowest speed. Well, that's why I'm going to do it um, in a parking lot with cones doing tight okay. turns and, and you know. Full, no, a controlled environment. stop so that it is slow. And rather than in the street, like I know this is what I need to do. Yep. I need to go do some full stop turns and, you know, like a little Jim Connor thing, like when, watching the police bikes and the <laughs> shit they do on that. I'm like, okay, that's kind of what I need to go set up and do. Oh, you're, you're making right. me nervous now just thinking about it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know I got to do it. And I've been taking my bikes out and going from bigger to bigger to bigger bikes. Um, but it's just, it's weird. I, it's, yeah. I think it's an age thing. I haven't had an event other than that little crash that he saw me do. Um, I think having awareness awareness of what's what you're going through is big to begin with. Some people oh, just yeah. flat out quit and go, ah, I can't do this anymore. Well, even that wherever, little crash. How long ago was that, John? Oh, probably three, four months ago, right? Uh, yeah, before. At least, yeah. yeah. And, but I ended up with two hematomas on my leg, and I still have one Ugh. leg that has... Um, uh, no, not hematomas. What's the the big knot, blood knot? 
Is yeah, that hematoma? Yeah, hematoma. Yeah, and I still have like extra fluid in one leg that hasn't really gone away. Like, mm. I'm like, my body is not right. healing as easily as it used to. And the, you yeah. know, that's a fact of what happens to us as we get older. I mean, look at that wreck that I had on the Triumph, on the yeah. Trident yeah. a few yeah. years ago. I mean, I just destroyed my shoulder. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't yeah. a high-speed accident. It was like 40 miles an hour. Right. And my, my last accident was on the Stella in 2014. And it, it literally took me a year to recover from that. And I was going around a turn at maybe 15 miles an hour. Right. Oh, that was uh, the gravel but, incident? Yeah, yeah, when I went across the patch of gravel and it just threw me right to the ground. Yeah, I mean, it messed up my shoulder and my clavicle. Like, like everything, like it was, nothing was broken, but everything was just out of place. Yeah, and clunky and clicky. Yeah. And, and like just, my, yeah, my, I know my, that my feeling. Arm, yeah, my arm wasn't moving right. It, it was literally like a year later, I was in, in a massage session and my masseuse just like pulled my arm in just the right way, and I felt it pop right where it needed to go, and it was just such a sense of relief. But it took a year for that to happen. <laughs> oh my god! And you know, but I had other, you know, I had other things too. You know, my my uh, my right leg wasn't, you know, was was beat up pretty bad from that for a while. Hmm. Yeah. So I mean, what it, scares you though, Bagel? What what scares you on the scooter? Well, what what scares me? There there are a number of things that that scare me. Um, losing traction is one thing that that I I find that I'm I, I have anxiety about while I'm riding. Yeah, and that's what's happening to, with me too. I'm like right, I don't trust the tires anymore. Right. But especially at this time of year when there are leaves on the ground. Mm. Um, you know, I was on a ride today and we went through this one uh, one park that was in a very tree shaded area. And of course this time of year all the leaves are coming down. And this road had didn't just have leaves on it. It had leaves that that were pressed onto the surface, like it had rained and they'd been driven oh, over, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and more leaves had fallen on top of it, and it was like a carpet of of wet leaf residue on the road. Like it's slimy. It, it was a mess. Nature yeah. slip and slide. Yes, exactly. And we were riding through that, and I was just like, "Oh, I'm just going to ride through this real gentle, real easy," and it made it through okay. Pucker but factor, it's like, right? But it, yeah, it's major pucker factor going through stuff like that. Well, um, uh, and and that and that can happen, you know, in any kind of road condition, you know, where you you could lose sure. traction. You know, gravel, for example, like we talked about before, um, even debris in the road can cause you to lose traction. You're going around a curve, and there's you know a tire tread, you know, lying there in the road. You, you hit that, you're going to lose lose traction when you go over it. You know, things like that. That you know that that's one of the things that 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 gives me the most worry while I'm riding is any sort of conditions that will cause me to lose traction because I know what, what my tires can do mm-hmm. when they have traction, but when they lose traction and I no longer have that, that sense of security of, of knowing my tires are going to hold me to the road. That does give me a, a good deal of anxiety. That, that reminds me of when Jim and I were riding in Salinas and um, we're coming down a slight hill to a stop sign and a, a lettuce truck had dumped a load of lettuce. Oh, <laughs> oh, and it had, and cars had mashed it down. And I'm coming, oh. trying to come to a stop, and it was like ice. And I'm like, don't break. Keep going. You're, you're literally riding through coleslaw. It was literally it was just it was just slimy. It was just that, slimy. Yeah. Road. That's why they you're call riding. it iceberg lettuce. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. So, wah. I mean, I think we're all kind of face something like that. Um, but can I offer yeah. another one, too? Yeah. yeah. Is bad drivers. <laughs> yes, yes. Any time of year, anywhere, 
there are always going to be bad drivers mm-hmm. and 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 it's and there's not just one type of bad driver there are all kinds of bad drivers there are the bad drivers who go slow and they're sloppy and all over the road you can't predict where they're going to go and and they're just a hazard just being there 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 are drivers who are, are just cruising down the road not paying attention got their foot out the window and you know they're talking on their phone and they're weaving all over the place there there are drivers who are you know think they're on you know on the the formula 1 racetrack you know and <laughs> there's well, but, let me let me pose to the group i mean is this something that is everyone afraid now with people who text and drive i mean this is something that's developed oh, sure. strategies to yeah. avoid newer it, but, oh, yeah. Yeah, as since we've all been riding Text texters, right. this is scary. This is something I do. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not necessarily scared of it, but it's something I have to factor into my riding yeah. now. It's part of the calculus. Yeah. It's, it's part of the calculation that you make when you go out. There's, you, you really have to give people a lot more room. Yeah, be a lot more cautious. You can about other people no longer assume that they can see you, even though you are right. not in a blind spot. You're in right in front of them, yet yep. they still might do I that. think we were talking about this earlier, that you have Prius anxiety. Yeah, Prius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now it's Tesla, though. You know, it's yeah. funny. Um, yeah. Hmm. Prius I, it was real bad for a while there because you had a lot of slower drivers. And then suddenly people started realizing they can be fast. But um, my first time I went to Pakistan, there was a friggin' slow Prius, like, <laughs> that I'm stuck behind. I'm like, That's an international no! phenomenon, apparently. <laughs> exactly. You know, you the nature is you can pick any vehicle. Mm. You can pick any vehicle. And once you're looking out for it, they'll behave badly. So you can have bad Prius drivers. You can have bad Camry drivers. You can have bad Audi drivers. Way back in the 70s, Volvos. we'd always Volvos. have Jag drivers wearing a hat. You see a drag driver uh, with a hat on, you're done. Keep uh, away. And or, you or, know, or a drag a drag driver where you only see knuckles on the steering wheel. Yes, <laughs> you know. So just pick your poison. It but, is. It is. That is a newer thing that is scary to me. A huge fear for me, and it dovetails into the distracted drivers. And the thing I've really. I wouldn't say I've gotten a phobia about, but I'm certainly more aware is when I'm stationary. And mm. I find now yeah. I'm watching my rear view mirrors like a hawk. Yep. I do that too. And it's, I always kind of did, but it just seems a lot more important now, especially if I'm at the very back, especially after being hit from the rear before. Been yes. Done that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. I sort of ranked my riding over the years as how many times on the tour did I go? <laughs> right. You know, and now I've gotten to the point where I'll, I'll do you know, four or five tours and, and you know, I don't get it. But there is one thing that does scare me, Ooh. something that does panic me and where I freak out. And that's when I'm on the racetrack and somebody steals my apex. Oh, they cut you off. Mm. They cut me off. I've got to stand it up and I've got to run it wide because I never know who's coming through the other way Mm because maybe as I'm running it wide, Mm. someone else is going to hit me. That's one thing that's still where I still get that fear, that same Mm -hmm. jolt of fear when somebody comes in and snakes my line. Yeah. You gotta yeah, show you gotta show them a wheel before you do that anyways. Yeah. It's, it's just etiquette, you know. Well, it's one of the the track day operators said it very nicely, and I'm going to pass this around to other track day operators. This is 
Motorcycle racing is, yes, an individual sport, but track days are a team sport. Mm-hmm. We're all there mm-hmm. together. We're all there to keep ourselves upright, learn, and go fast and have a good time. This is a team sport, guys. Let's We're all in right. sp- supporting each other. And Emma. But of course, all you boys get out there on the track and the testosterone starts running. <laughs> oh, there's plenty of women and, out there too. <laughs> and it gets very competitive. And yes, I'm sorry, you were saying, Liza. Emma, you have another irrational fear. Do I? You do. It affects what kind of helmet you wear. Oh, gosh. Yeah, don't even get me started. And you know, it's something that really has become much more prevalent as I get older. It's my claustrophobia. And Mm. I am really getting very claustrophobic now. And full-face helmets, especially very restricting full-face helmets, they don't do it for me anymore. Mm. You know, I get... You wear one, though, right? I mean, it's... No, she wears a three-quarter. I wear a three-quarter. Oh, okay. I wear a three. Even when it's cold out, she yep. wears a yeah, three quarter. Okay. Yeah, because right. for that open faces win races. Ah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it's all, it all boils down to claustrophobia. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, know, you how th- bad my claustrophobia is. Again, back to my tour bus driving days. I am driving a forty-five foot long tour bus out of South Lake Tahoe, and if you take the south entrance out of Tahoe, there's like a mile long tunnel to get out. And uh, if you're in a yeah. tour bus, you kind of fill up the tunnel. Yeah, yeah. I got very claustrophobic <laughs> in there halfway through. And I'd got 55 kids sitting behind me. I'm like, oh, my God. So what you do is you turn back and you look at the kids and you go, all right, time to ride the lightning. <laughs> and you just floor it. <laughs> but, you know, elevators, um, closets, stuff like that. Your predilection for motorcycles is starting to make more sense now. Um, yes. Car trunks. Mm-hmm. You hate being stuffed in a car trunk. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Don't do the car uh, trunk anymore. Yeah, I know. No, <laughs> but, but, but it's interesting. <laughs> uh, I can just uh, touch on that. Uh, it's interesting what you said about the restrictive helmets because I've, I've always worn full-face helmets. Yes. And there, there have been a few times where I've felt a little, ca- little bit of claustrophobia. I need to you know, open up my visor to get some air in, and then I'm okay. But I, I recently got a new helmet. Um, this is a, a Schubert. Um, finally found one that wasn't more than five years old. Yes. Um, and uh, it's the same size, a different model. Yes. But but I found that it is a it is a much tighter fit than the old helmet. Oh. And Perhaps your head I, is getting fatter, Bagel. Well, you know there is that. But um, but when I first put it on, it was so it was so tight that it like it felt like it was crushing my skull. Mm. And and like like it was really kind of painful. And and I rode around on it, and I and I noticed that I was feeling very, very just just right. anxious and and um, like uneasy, like the whole ride. Like I, I couldn't, I felt like almost like I couldn't see well right. because it was because of the pressure on my head. Um, and you know, and I'm, I'm actually still breaking the helmet in. It's gotten better, but but I still have that feeling a little bit of right. Of, well, it's like a pair of shoes. It gets it it does get bigger. But you see, sure. a lot of it is what you're used to. And right. I grew up riding English bikes back in the seventies, where we all wore piss buckets with goggles yeah. on. Yeah. And to me, the the kind of complete experience of motorcycling is hearing what's around you. Mm. And I cannot tell you how many times actually hearing the engine of a car coming up behind me has gotten me out of the shit. Mm. 
Hmm. Because yeah. the car yeah, I I understand is that. right in your blind spot, but you can, mm-hmm. what the hell yeah, is that? Mm-hmm. And then you, you deliberately look, and there it is. And so it's just, and I'm not trying to justify wearing a three-quarter, because I know from a safety standpoint, I'm way down in the ranking, and I need to be a lot more mature about my helmet. But the the fact is, hearing a hazard before I have seen it has gotten me out of the shit so many times. Mm. And that's why generally, even though I've got the intercom on my helmet, I only have it in in my right ear. I don't do the left ear, and I'll never listen to music no when I'm riding. Because I need to hear things that are around me. No, no earplugs for you either? No. Okay. Oh, no. Yeah. I need, to, you know, I... I need to hear what's going on around me. I need to yeah. hear the traffic so I can kind of place it. Yeah, my, my strategy for that was I do wear plugs. I wear a, a balaclava, and, and I have a full face. But I, I'd use a, a lane lane placement position strategy to, to see what I can do. And I'm always like looking at my rearview mirrors. Right. Because I know I don't have that that, that uh, reduced uh, stimulus, you know, with, right. with the audio. So li- living up in the in the mountains, I live on, on Highway 9, and uh, to, to Emma's <gasps> oh. point, you know the street racers up there, mm-hmm. um, and I, you know, I, I'm not slow. I'm not. I'm not a. Ra- I'm not super fast, right. but I'm not. I'm definitely not slow. And I'm usually passing people and not. But uh, a few times those uh, those racers and those hopped up cars will come up behind me super fast to return and pass me, <laughs> and it will just completely freak me out. Yeah, okay. and yeah. piss me off to a point where I want to have right. a conversation. But you know, even a normal car, even an electric car, you can hear it. You can hear the hum off the tires. You can hear the whine off the belts. Mm-hmm. You yep. you know there is something there before you see it. And it has. It's gotten me out of the shit so many times. Oh, we're tormenting a dog in here. That's what the noise is. <laughs> sending her over tonight. So there's things that, to, to Kat's point, there's things that I, I'm afraid of, and there's things that I'm terrified of. And those are, those are kind of two different things. So I'm afraid of animals. Um, I was going to oh, say yeah. riding at night in the hills because yeah. of the deer. Yeah, deer, I know quite turkeys, a few people have heard them. Turkeys yeah, also, yeah. and there's this. Oh, yeah. you know, so that that you know, especially this time of year when the time changes and I'm riding home like in dusk when they all are out feeding, that just terrifies me. So, and uh, the but the funny the thing that um, that scares me. What terrifies me is when I'm riding dirt, um, and I'm just absolutely terrified of like. Uh, elevation changes, you know, three, three foot drop. The crinkling sound you'll hear is the bag of candy that Emma stole from my kitchen and now Halloween passing candy. some out to people. You stole my bag of candy from, well, oh, it wasn't even the kitchen, it was in the garage. I left it out there. Yeah, stole. I thought, stole it. no, I thought it was prudent to yeah. bring it in here for the misfits to enjoy. It's called redistribution right. of yes. So, sorry, John, I jumped mm-hmm. in. So, so dirt riding. This yeah. scares you the whole well, learning ele- to be comfortable with less traction. Than no, no, no. Road? Well, yes and no. So I mean, the more I ride dirt, the, the more I'm comfortable in gravel and, and sand and things like mm-hmm. that. What scares me the most is this has happened to me in the Utah desert when I was out there. Is is kind of coming across something where I got a there's a two foot or a four foot elevation drop where I have to jump oh, off, right. and that just freaks me out. And uh, that's where I got stuck with having target fixation, and I hit a rock wall. Yeah, because I was Ooh, so, yeah. I was so freaked out about it. So. Yeah. Do you ride dirt, Cat? Yeah, I, I did as a kid, and I actually miss it a lot. I love a good piece of single track, you know, through the woods. Yep. Uh, right. I, I actually miss it. I, I do have another one. I bet you it's mm-hmm. not just a tour guide fair. I bet you it's anybody who's done group rides. Mm-hmm. And that's when 
you've had a good fun twisty section and you come to stop to make sure and you're looking back in your rearview mirror and nobody's there and you're yeah. waiting yep. and yeah. waiting mm-hmm. and right. you're like oh, oh shit, shit. Yep. oh yep. no mm-hmm. please tell me so, you know, somebody hasn't lost yep. it and, you, and you're waiting for them to arrive well you know the the reality of group rides is the ride is only as strong as the weakest rider yep Yep. And it descends down to the weakest rider or the most Ooh. reckless rider, however you want to put it. <laughs> yeah. Most overconfident. Most dangerous. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and the reason that I like this topic, I wanted to bring it up, is because uh, we're all experienced riders. We've been riding a long time. <clears throat> and I wanted to, you know, be open and honest to people that anybody can get it in their head that there's, you know, they have a fear. It never really goes away. I think. Really, having uh, some fears is is good. For people who have no fears, I'm scared for them. Yeah. Right? You have to be cautious and have a plan. Yep. I- exactly. And to well recognize put, it and be willing cat. to push through. Um, but it, yeah, it definitely can slow you down. But you're right, Kat. It can paralyze you. It, it's dangerous. When, mm-hmm. when you freeze. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When you freeze and target fixate on something, you're going down. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why I told somebody today we were talking out in the garage. I said, if you can, you should really take a track day. He's like, well, I don't really, I'm not, I don't care about going fast and I don't want to race. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's not about that. It's about giving yourself more tools to use on the street and learning that every part of your body comes into play in controlling the bike. Right. And I think a lot of people when they ride are only using some of their body mm-hmm. and not all of it. And when you get into the, oh, shit, having that in your your tool bag to pull, you know, if you're like, oh, I'm not going tight enough and in this corner, I've been there before where I just froze and you go wide into the corner and go off into the gravel to deal with as opposed to knowing your body knowing what to do to make so those slight changes and to lean more and to make the turn. Mm-hmm. Yep. <clears throat> so and, what yeah. is this? this is like recognition of um, certain scenarios and. The more you ride, the more you recognize those, and the more you're able to cope with it. But to certain extremes, if you go around a corner really fast, like double the speed limit, you don't really have much options. But you need to be aware of that. Fear is is healthy, but it can also uh, it can prevent you from riding, mm-hmm. and it can prevent you from controlling the bike in the manner you need. So, I mean, uh, let's just take a minute to talk about the things you do to push through that taking classes and doing drills yep are two things um what do you think about if you have uh you know asking someone hey can i follow your line or something just to follow you know what what are some other tricks you guys think well yeah i mean i do this a lot on tour where someone's clearly you know suffering you know or or scared or skittish um, like hairpin turns Hairpin turns, we do a ridiculous amount of hairpin turns yep. in, in the Alps and in, in Italy and whatnot. And there's special strategies for doing hairpin turns, particularly when you go to the right. You go to the right, you look up the hairpin turn, and then you, if there's no cars coming, you run it wide, way outside wide, and then you laid apex it. So there's never any point during the hairpin turn when you're doing things really tight. Because if you're doing really things really tight, particularly when you're going uphill, you'll quickly quickly get <sighs> stuck 
And then your bike will flop over on you because you have no way to put your foot down because when you put your foot down, you discover you're on an incline. and There's whoop. nothing there. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's there's so many little broken off uh, front brake levers <laughs> in hairpin turns, uh, particularly in the Alps on the Zeller round. Well, what do you guys think of this? If, if anyone is having you know, fears, here's an excuse to buy a smaller bike. What do you think about getting on a smaller bike? One that's just easier to maneuver. Definitely helpful. Well, how many times have we said yeah. it is far more fun to ride a slow bike quickly than a quick bike slowly? I yeah. think you need to say that Indeed. again. Yeah. It is far more fun to ride a slow bike quickly. I thought you were saying a small bike. Well, but Slow. slower okay. um, than a quick bike slowly. Yeah. So... As an example, as fun as it is tooling around on an S one thousand, you know, absolutely bladdering along on a on a four hundred ninja. <laughs> this has become the new secret of the track is tons of people are buying the the ninja four hundreds and the the R threes yeah. and they're having an absolute ri- blast. Because you ride it flat out yeah. everywhere. Yep. And it's just fun as snot. So and it's making them better in the turns as well. Right. And that's why I'm saying that's a confidence builder yep. yes. to help you overcome is to have a smaller bike that's just fun well, that's, and nimble. That's yeah. why I got the XT two twenty five. Yeah. Because I just exactly. wanted I wanted to get really proficient, especially in low traction places. Hand me that bag of and, candy, uh, please. How come every time I talk, candy comes up? What is sorry, going on sorry, here right now? Sorry, sorry. <laughs> you you um, cause a craving. I do. So Call I me wanted, the candy man. I wanted to bring something else up, and this is death. Mm. Uh, and dismemberment? Death, death is something that we all face, but actually, <laughs> um, this weekend, there was um, some of our friends who've been on the show before uh, were involved in an accident. Um, I'll be more, a little more specific. I'm not going to name names, but a group of riding people up in the Bay area. We're having a big ride this weekend and they're riding. It's, it's kind of a hooligan ride. I mean, they're, you know, out there. Right. It's, as I say, like everyone has to have like the purge every now and then you just got to go do a hooligan ride. I've I've done, (laughs) I have, I've done that ride in San Francisco before and it is Um, thuggish. This is not the one. They're just very comfortable this, this with what they do. This is a different one. Oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, there was one person who crashed and broke a leg. Um, but there was another person who crashed and they w- went over a railroad track. And you know when you kind of, um, mm. y- you go up in the air a little bit and then you come down. And he came down and just went down and slid. And when they got to him, they realized he was um, dead. Or, or dying. He had a heart attack and was probably oh, yeah. dead before he hit the ground. Yeah. Um, the group did everything they could. They leapt into action. They did CPR. They were with him until authorities got there. I don't think there's anything else that they could have done. So um, I, I think it's pretty cool when a group does come together and they, right. they do everything they can. But he died having a heart attack while out on a ride with his friends. And it May reminded me. so lucky. It reminded me yep. of uh, when Nock and I were at AMA Vintage Days a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. That yep. happened on the track. Mm-hmm. Guy yep. was racing and just went right off the track, and everyone's like, "What happened?" And he was he was dead. Same thing, heart attack. That's how I want to go out. And and then also Erin um, Sills, her her husband. He he yep. was found in a ditch. He just went off the road, heart attack. 
that's three people I know of. Now I've heard of others who went out that way. And, and I know it's quite a traumatic experience and it's always, you know, um, sad to lose some, a friend, a family member, a biker. But every time I hear it, I go legendary. Would you? That's how sure. I want to go. So let's, let's talk about the actual science behind this mm. because riding a motorcycle is a very exciting sport and is very high adrenaline. So let's talk about what's happening to your body when the adrenaline's pumping. Blood pressure's elevated, heart rate's elevated, mm-hmm. your body is working, right? And yeah. if you're compromised because of health, if you're compromised because of age, and then you put yourself in a stressful situation like being on a track, and for all we know, at that guy at vintage, you know, AMA days was somebody stole his apex and he's like, <gasps> and that might have been enough to finish him off. Like our friend, when he hit the tracks and went airborne, that might have been enough for his, <gasps> and then that's well, it. Pow. People also have heart attacks in the shower. I mean, oh, yeah, some, absolutely. It's just, this is your time. And to go on a bike, um, to me, I'm like, that seems like. I want to. I hate to say it, but like, I think we all wish that's the way we. Yeah, could go, I don't know if anyone's you know? been to an old folks' home lately, but <laughs> take it's, me. Yeah, now. it's not good, is it? Yeah. And um, I just thought, wow, what a, what a, I I hate to say I admire somebody who can can manage to die that way, <laughs> you know, you know, and, and it is so sad. And and again, I feel bad for everyone involved because um, it's quite traumatic for them to be somebody who is at the scene of any accident, as you said, you know, um, no one's behind you. You're like, oh, no. And so the fact that they had to go through that twice, somebody with a broken leg, and then with that. But, um, you know, uh, it just it just reminds me of, like, that's what that's how I hope it happens for me. But we can we can arrange that for you, like. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, you know, all you got to do. I is know. Just, will you ride ride on the back and just shoot me uh, execution style? No, um, I was thinking more. Um, <laughs> I was thinking more riding alongside you and baton in the spokes. But I do not oh. want to go out in a traffic collision, though. That's different. Like uh, on commuting or something like that. That's oh no, that's yeah. not as sexy yeah, yeah. as on no. on track. Um. But that is not the only death this week. And no. I actually, we didn't uh, mention it um, last week, but uh, Wes Cooley, yeah. former guest, one of our favorite guests, he passed away. Oh, absolutely. Away. And yeah. this week, um, Paul Smart passed away. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we should talk about both of them a little bit because they're both absolutely iconic figures. But before we do, yes, I wanted to just do a quick moment of silence for them. And in that moment of silence... I want everyone to look around and see if they can see a Paul Smart Ducati on the walls here. Because <laughs> I think I found one. Okay, Kat, what did you find? Um, it looks like an old... N- no, that's not a Paul Smart. Oh, that one? The red one? Yeah. Yeah, there's one right behind Emma, too. Yeah. Right. Uh, there's one right up there, too. Ironically, I, I found. I think there's one there in the little boxes too. I found the Mike Elwood replicas. Okay. <laughs> ah. So, um, we've had Wes on the show, but unfortunately, we never had Paul Smart on the right. show. So, Emma, I thought maybe you could do a little history hole. On Will Paul you Smart. just hold up because I want to talk about Wes as well. Sure. And 
he was a marvellous guest. And if you haven't heard the interview we did with him, please revisit it. Can you remember off the top of your head what number show it is, Laser? I do not. But go through our back catalogue. Hold on. Knock, you're muted because you're eating in the mic. And crinkling. <laughs> and yes. When you're done eating, just signal he'll unmute you. Um, Hi, I'm Knock. <laughs> but um, no, Wes Cooley, I mean, he was absolutely instrumental in superbike racing in the late 70s yeah. and early 80s. And really, my love of large capacity Suzuki's goes right back to Wes. Hmm. Um, always a fan favorite, just very, very gentlemanly behavior on the track and off the track. And wonderful person to interview. Number 363. There you go, 363. Yep. Oh, no, now it's playing. Ah. Oops. Ah, no, stop, stop. <laughs> did you I stop did. it? I did. Um, so 363. But let's talk about Paul Smart. And there's going to be a whole generation of people who are saying, ooh. And and I will say I wasn't familiar with him as a racer until they came out with the Paul Smart replica well, from Ducati. I went, that is a damn fine bike. Well, it was a kind of it was a moment in time, and we'll kind of come to that. But... As famous as um, Rossi is on Ducatis, long before that, long, long before that, there wouldn't have been a, really a Ducati racing program without the efforts of Paul Smart. Mm -hmm. So who is this man? Who? Who is this man? Well, he's a Londoner, born on the 21st of April, 1943, in the middle of the Second World War. And mm. a lot of guys... Around that time, you talk about it being a, a marvellous moment in time. It's when the post-war scene was when, certainly in England, road racing was really taking off. Liza's looking for the Paul Smart replica now. Did you find it? It's silver with a green frame. You know. Um, so he really, he went to um, the Charles Mortimer racing school and charles mortimer really was um royalty in british road racing um him and his son Chaz got so many people their starts in racing um and that's where um paul got his start summer of 1965 he graduated from the charles mortimer racing school and did his first season on a bull taco of all things which proved extremely expensive and very unreliable and broke down a lot. <laughs> so um, he raced that on, on the street or in the dirt? No, track. Yeah. This is all road racing. He had his eye on a Cotton 250. And you're going to say, a what? Cotton 250 was a very, very competitive two-stroke, single-cylinder, running probably about 40 horsepower, which doesn't sound a lot now but way it was a way high back then but in order to save for it he had to share a 125 honda for 1966 season and then he got the cotton at the end of 66 and then he just racked up a lot of wins all through the late 60s he kind of went up through the ranks started racing at the isle of man in 67 i want to say um Racing a Dunstall, of all things, hmm. um, got into the bigger stuff. 
Started racing in America, 71, 72 on Kawasaki's. Never really made his name in, in America as much as in England. But we come to the biggie. And they talk about a moment in time. Europe had for a long time been looking at the Daytona <coughs> and wanting a European version of Daytona. Because Daytona, you know, Daytona 200 was a big, big race world over. Mm -hmm. And the FIM said, okay, let's do a European version. And they picked the Imola racetrack in Italy as the venue for it. And the very, very first year was 1972. So this was the very, very first year for the Imola 200. And it's an Italian circuit. There was a lot of Italian pride. And so a number of man Italian manufacturers put bikes into it, including Galera, including Motoguzzi. But Ducati, up until the very early 70s, had been working on single-cylinder bikes. Well, they'd be messing about with this V-twin bike, which had come out on the street in 1971. They thought, we'll do a race version of this. And they actually entered eight. And first place, 1972, the very, very first Imola 200 was Paul Smart hmm. on a Ducati 750 GT race bike. And because it was so many first, that kind of cemented his place in history. And that's what he will really always be remembered for, even though he had a successful race career after that. Um hmm. Who was second? Oh, Bruno Spagioni was second, also on a 750 Ducati. And that's really what Paul Smart was remembered for. In 2005, and this is the bike you remember, Liza, mm -hmm. Ducati brought out the Paul Smart replica. 2006. Was it 2006? Yes. I think it was 2005 for Europe. To commemorate the 1972 win, yeah. There you go. And silver bike. Green frame, which was Ducati racing colours back then. Too. Very, very expensive bike. But, you know, after the Imola win, he retired soon after that and just did sporadic racing and really was in the motorcycle industry and had very, very successful dealerships after that mm. and always did guest spots, always used to go out, very much a gentleman. I met him twice, and he's always just the nicest man and a great ambassador for a sport. And, as a bonus, I will give you a piece of useless information, Mark. <laughs> I love those. Who is my all-time favorite motorcycle racer? Barry Sheen. And Paul Smart's his brother-in-law. Oh, uh, that works out. He married Maggie Sheen. Barry's mm. Barry's old sister. Wow. Talk about keep it in the family. Yeah, fast right. boys. Yep. Small world. Yeah, it is. You know, road racing is very, very much a small family. And um Yeah, it's usually how that works. Guess guess how Paul Smart died? A traffic accident. Riding a motorcycle. Seventy eight years old. Seventy eight years old, wow. still riding a motorcycle, still riding a motorcycle fast. So um That's a bummer. It is a bummer. But, again, he went out doing what he loved. Yeah. We lost two great ambassadors for the sport 
in two weeks. Yeah. So, so yeah. we should all think a little, tip our hats, West Cooley and Paul Smart, enjoy your ride in heaven, guys. Yep. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> uh, we got a quick announcement to make. You're all. Uh, so Pakistan, it's uh, it's happening next year, and uh, John has got some dates for his trip. I am and very that- <laughs> troubled by the name of this. I'm, I'm kind of. Uh, <laughs> you this was what? supposed to be a working title. John now has put like a logo to it. I think he's going with it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's a good idea to keep using this, but for now, let's go ahead. John, tell him the name of your tour. Stumpistan, baby. <laughs> works, works for me. Follow the stump to Pakistan. Stumpistan is good. <laughs> me and my. Oh my God. That, that has an interesting visual. Well, right. you know, when the, when the name came out, I thought it would be the greatest title for a game show <laughs> where all the contestants are called Stan and you have to pose Stump questions Stan. to get, you know. Yeah, that's actually pretty good. We might try to do that over there. Yeah, there you go. Stump of Stan. So we are, uh, we got some dates. And uh, so there's actually two, there's two dates. So there's the, the regular tour, which is, um, it's 13 days uh, traveling out of Islamabad. You don't want to do that. Up through the <clears throat> mountains. They don't want to do that. I'm just telling them they don't want to do we, that. Hey, it's coffee. It's, it's candy time, by the way. Um, or um, uh, if you, if you, what you want to do is fly yes. into Lahore. Yes. Or fl- I'm sorry, fly into Islamabad, travel to Lahore. You can fly in Allure. You can fly in there too, but it's much more expensive. That's I, by what I found. So, um, ah, because you're flying to Islamabad. Yes, got it. Okay. So I was trying to get into Lahore, but I couldn't do it. So it, not for the price. It but was, why was, do they want to go to Lahore, John? Because um, there's lots of things we're going to do there. We're going to um, get a chance to go around on one's tracks. Um, oh, sick. we're going to see the historic city. <gasps> Um, we're going to go up to the Pakistani-Indian border, potentially. Extracurricular activities. Yeah, it's, and, uh, it's not up. It's over. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Um, I'm still learning. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, so I'm, you know, if you're going to go that far, you might as well you just spend go. a little extra money and do this, too, because it just makes a lot of sense. And the dates are? So, uh, you need to arrive by May 31st for the Lahore side trip, mm-hmm. um, and then returning on uh, no earlier than uh, June 18th. Okay. If you don't want to do the Lahore piece, you can fly into Islamabad and be there on the fourth of June, and fly out the same. So if you, you want to do Lahore, if you want to fly into Lahore, you have to fly out of Islamabad. You can do that. I've done that. Yeah. So you definitely want to do it. Um, I am also doing my tour. Is going to be uh, we locked in the dates September tenth to September twenty sixth. We are also going to Lahore. Um, yeah, you haven't heard about this cat. Uh, you think your track days are fun? <laughs> <laughs> Moyne has built there a motocross track. That guy's such a great and character. a road racing track and a rally truck uh, course. And he has vehicles, all the vehicles there. <clears throat> He's got cars, go karts, motorcycles, dirt bikes, rally trucks. Oh, He's got everything. I can't wait. And so we're adding in a track day. Nice. At his track where we get to play with all the toys. But your your trip is Chickistan, so it's only for My for, trip is Chickistan for and females. Mine mm-hmm. is co ed. Anybody can come. Anyone can go to Andrew. You don't have to be a stump. To I was go thinking to about Stumpistan. that. Yeah. Are you gonna set a height limit? I, I'm thinking about that. that anybody actually, yes. over five foot six <laughs> is out. Uh, I'm thinking because then I'll I'll feel like the tallest person there. 
<laughs> right here. Like, you know, Cat deals with that all the time. He's always the tallest person, but you know. I never really notice it until I look at photos. I'm like, oh, <laughs> Jesus, I'm huge. So, towering if you are interested in uh, Stumpistan or Chickistan, you can email Liza um, at the Recycle Garage. Recycle Garage at Gmail. No, Recycle Motorcycle Garage at Gmail.com. And if you're interested in, or you can email me directly at John at BigThumpers.com. John at BigThumpers.com. And the price for for my trip will be, uh, including Lahore, will be uh, $4,000 dollars um, and 3500 without the Lahore side trip. So very much, and that includes motorcycles, uh, lots of food, uh, accommodations, and everything. So, But you should... Both point out it excludes airfare, so you Correct. need to do your Correct. own airfare, so you add that in. And I think add the cat's point, it's going to start getting busy, so you might want to start yes. looking at plane tickets like soon. That's why I jumped on um, it. General, general rule of thumb is you want to look for your airfare dates anywhere from eight to six months. You start getting a feel for the market, right? Mm-hmm. You know, right. and then, then you kind of know when you should pull the trigger. Um, overall, folks, come on. I know there's things you could have, lots of things. This, that four grand could buy you this, and it could sit, and you could be very proud of it for a little while, or you can have an incredible experience. It, we're moving. Some people are starting to get the concept. You want to have a great experience, not another thing. I don't so, know if you've ever cleaned out somebody's house after they died, but boy, you start to realize the futility of stuff. Things. So, yeah, so just go experience something incredible. Go do it. I yep. think 100%, but I will say this is not a beginner trip. Um, so you need to have a certain acumen on the bike because you're going to be riding in multi-terrains, gravel, dirt, uphills, potholes, bo- awesome asphalt. So I mean, it's everything. So if you're not comfortable in multi-terrains, you may want to either practice a lot before then or wait for another time, but take a cl- take a dirt class. That'd be the best way to do it. Yeah, and, yeah, there you and, go. Yep. and we're riding 150cc bikes. Um, and I remind everyone, uh, a, a beginner rider could survive this trip easily, but it's not going to be fun. They're going to be white knuckling and and yeah. be going a lot slower than the group. But even a great yeah. rider can't go that fast on a 150cc, and you can't get into that much trouble. Um, but like I said, having some dirt bike experience, um, and having just a couple track days under my belt made all the difference in the riding there. So that's what I recommend is just having some experience doing that. Um, Emma. Hello. You want to answer some, uh, tell me why questions? Oh yeah. Tell me why. So, <laughs> <laughs> that was very good. Yeah, so we started doing this. Uh, people have been sending in some tell me why. Um, this is where we ask Emma questions that we just want an answer. So, Emma, the first one is from Josh. And he says, Hello, Josh. Tell, tell me why <laughs> there aren't any cruiser styled electric motorcycles. Oh, that's a very interesting question. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's various reasons for that. Let's go into a couple of them, because with the best answers, there's no single answer. But let's go into a few of the factors. The first is how an electric motorcycle carries its weight. Traditionally, the motors are low and the batteries are high, and that lends itself to a sport bike platform a lot better than a cruiser bike platform. That's reason one. Reason two... Well... Can I jump in? Yes. Technically, the Confederate is a cruiser. 
Not mm. Confederate. What are they called now? The the Hellcats. The Curtis. 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 Yeah. The Curtis. Technically, the Curtises. Yeah, but God, you're pushing it a bit there. Yeah, I know, but mm. you know. Um, Do you think the Arch is a cruiser? No. Uh, ah, yeah. it's a power cruiser, it's a I guess. Sport so, yeah, sport, yeah. So, so, what's your two? So, my two is out of all genres of motorcycles. Out of all genres of motorcycles, I would say a cruiser is the one genre where the appearance of the motorcycle is perhaps the most important. Mm-hmm. If you take a sport bike, a sport bike performs a function, which is why all sport bikes basically have the same layout. And if you squint enough, they kind of all look the same. They've got 17-inch wheels. They all look very low in the front. They look like they've been kicked up the ass in the back. And that's what a sport bike looks like. Um, dirt bikes... Again, they follow the same high fender, very, very high spindly wheel look. Cruisers are designed solely with a purpose to look a very specific way. And they're big and expansive. And electric bikes just don't lend themselves to that sort of heavy chrome... I, I think the live wire is a perfect perfect example. If Harley Davidson, but the live wire is not a cruiser. But I know that's my point. If Harley Davidson, whose right. sole market is cruiser cruiser riders, and they make a bike that's not a cruiser, that's because they know it's not going to sell. It's not the image that people Which, will go. They don't want new technology. But but if you like, like heavy bikes. <clears throat> You could fit a lot of batteries in that's that. That's true. That but weight it's, fill that back, those I, baggers up. <laughs> I agree. I think it's... Um, but smart, what would it yeah. look like? That's the it point, like Bagel. Because it could look like anything you want it to. A large, chromed-out, air or oil-cooled engine is kind of very integral to a cruiser design. Sure. And so what would you put there in its place? Well, uh, you would have to have a battery pack, a big... Chrome covered battery pack. Yeah, but <laughs> which would be just the <laughs> ugliest fins, the thing. Chrome fins on it. You can have fun with the design. It doesn't have what, to be cover utilitarian. It but let's it's skulls. Cover it in skulls. Let's you could. Let's come to my flames. third point. It's aesthetics, bagel. It's aesthetics. And I'm gonna go out yes. on a limb and say it's gonna be if, different. If aesthetics. you have a complaint, send it to Phil at Clevelandmotor.com. Right. Um, did you hear it? Did you hear he talked about it? <laughs> no, I, I, actually, I, know. I agree um, with Bagel, by the way, because I think you know, in 15 years, this is going to be our life. This is all we're going to be able to buy right. new. I, and it's going to, people are going to make them cool. I'm going to make a are. statement, yeah. though, Bagel, that yeah. people who typically ride a cruiser are not early adapters to technology. Oh, no. Oh, no. And I didn't, and I never, <laughs> that was that's, point three. Right. I never claimed that, that this would sell to the, the cruiser market. Right. But you could make an electric cruiser look any way you want it to. Right. But at the end of the day, as cool as it is, you've got to sell the bloody thing. Yeah. And yeah. I don't think the market's there now. In 15 yeah. years' time, maybe, because there won't be anything else. But part of the cruiser experience is having a very low-revving, throbby engine between your legs. Right. And also, one of the things that I think attracts a lot of people to electric motorcycles is the fact that they are efficient. 
And there's 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 <laughs> there's, a, there's, the a, there's an incongruity there. Like <laughs> yeah, cruisers are not efficient vehicles. Right. They're they're there for comfort. They're there for styling. Mm-hmm. They're there for looks. You know, it's not about efficiency. So yeah. so trying to sell that sell efficiency to that market is going to they're, be a really hard sell. But you know, as you know, the the whole cruiser thing may be going away with the mm-hmm. infernal combustion engine. Mm-hmm. And the closest we may get are sort of live wire things. Because live wire is not a sport bike by any stretch of the imagination. But it's kind of standard-ish. I mean, you know, it's it's yeah. like standard. And I like standards. I, I predict right. in 20 years we're going to have electric choppers. Oh, well, well, again, I've heard they're going to they're gonna figure it out. They're going to figure it out to make it look cool, sure. and it's going to have an outlaw. It's called the Curtis. It that's, exists. That's motorcycles. Right. What and, if it and, looks and, like the the bike in Akira? Sure. Hmm. That would that would yeah. be, that would, would attract that a lot because of people. It, it, was, the, the, it was kind of a cruiser seating position, but it was obviously very futuristic because, well, you know, it was Japanese well, anime. It's all changing, yeah. but, yeah. but and we know that the, um, yes. uh, again, send your complaints to clevelandmoto.com. <laughs> uh, the Harley crowd is dying off. And that yeah. the styles are going to Tra-la-la. be changing. The market is changing. So there you, right. go. They, there you go, Jonathan. I hope that answered your question there. All right, one more. Yes. And this one is from Ollie. Hello, Ollie. Greetings from Dan Saf in the Garden of England. Do you know what that means? Oh, yeah. He's in Kent, isn't he? Yes, eh? Kent. Love listening ah. to the show. You guys have kept me company on many a long, dark night shift uh, with your stories and We're- banter. Why, hey, <laughs> blimey, you're a caution in <laughs> He says he's the proud owner of a Triumph Sprint 955 ST. Oh, that's a good oh, bike. Wife a rides a Cowie ZZR600, both cracking bikes. No, ZZR is anyway, very, very good bike. to his question, Z-Z-R. he says, tell me why almost <laughs> all bikes have their side stand on the left side. Oh, that's an easy Ideal one. for um, dismounting onto the curb here in the UK and Australia, mm. but not great in Europe or the States or anywhere else. They ride on the wrong side. So I think I know the answer to this one, but I'm deferring ori- to Originally, you see, Ch- Charlie said, oh, it's all to do with the brake and the gear shift. And I said, Charlie, <laughs> that is no. babbling no. from the sickbed because... <laughs> Side stands were on the left, even when British bikes were shifting on the right. So it's nothing to do. We have to go back further. We have to go back further in time to horse riding. And like many things in our sport, indeed, the side of the road we drive on, it all goes back to riding horses. Yeah. And it's how you mount a horse. And you always mount a horse from the left. left now, what's what's funny? The left side of the horse, Miss Emma. As I read something in prep for this, where they said that uh, in Japan you actually jump on the horse from the right side, which I don't know if that's true or not. So don't don't yell at me if you're out. No, I think yeah. no, I think the correct but, way of mounting is from. And if you think about it, you know, I don't know if anybody has actually ridden a horse. The thought of actually trying to get on a horse, horse from the right side just fills me with all kinds of clunkiness and dread. Well, it's so the, the reason is so you don't drag your sword over the back of the horse. When right. You oh. Uh, yes. You don't drag your what? I'm sorry. Sword. Sword. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Your sword is your sword's on your left hand side. If if you tried to mount the horse uh, on the right hand side, you, right, you you'd get stuck or you'd drag the tip of your. Tip is of the sword, sword on your left hand side for a left handed person? 
No, because no. if you sword's you on your left, you draw, draw with your right, right hand. Oh, okay. So you Most, reach in and pull yeah. it out. Yeah. But a lefty would just go like this? Or would well, right. no, it'd be yeah. no you couldn't. Would, yeah. You, you haven't got enough the arm back movement. In those days. Because you're talking about long sword, John. Right, right. You haven't got enough articulation in your arm. So that's my point, though. It would be on the right. It'd be on the uh, opposite ah, side that's, then. That's interesting. Right. And isn't that the but, same reason many of the spiral staircases in castles go yes. down counterclockwise? Yeah, yep. so, yep. so yep. for defensive. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. So you could yep. swing full on with your right. Yeah. But while and, we're on this subject, you know, the very the side of the road that we drive on in England. Is determined goes back to the jousting days. Oh, really? Yep. Yes, because yep. you hold your lance yep. on the right hand side, mm -hmm. right? And so yep. you pass on, you know, on the left. lance to lance. Bagel, then, did, did you have something you wanted to add? Yes, bagel. Oh, um, oh, I'd already. <laughs> mind. Pass. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, I think we have one more knock. You got one there. All right. This one's a question for Emma. Tell me why. <laughs> Hello, darling. <laughs> Who's it from? Uh, it's from our friend Ian Doherty. Hello, Ian Doherty. Uh, hi, Miss Fitz. I stumbled across your podcast about three years ago <gasps> now, and I've been listening to you every week ever since. I uh, love the podcast. Oh, good. Oh, thank we you. like Ian. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's been great to find something that has great people, a uh, really great resource for real world knowledge, especially Emma's glory holes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, sorry, I mean history They're deep and dark. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully when international travel has opened up, I can fully get on a plane at, to the States, hire a bike out there, and come by the garage and meet you all. And There's excuse. fabulous riding out here. Don't yeah. you have a tour Pretty here also? Yeah, I've run tours out here. There's not enough rental yeah. bikes, but there are okay. a few up in Sacramento. Yeah, so our man, our man Ian uh, here is is, uh, is Scottish. And, uh, oh, yeah. oh, I. Go ahead. Yeah, anyway, he, I have he, a question he, for Emma. On, you gotta he, he probably wears a skirt. It's not a skirt, it's a kilt, you know it. Uh, I have a question <laughs> Men for Emma. Men in skirts. <laughs> Something that would Again, fall. send your complaints to yeah. CleavelandMotor.com. Anyway, I have a question for Emma. Something that would could fall into the category of being pish. A great Scottish word for describing all things utterly useless. Pish? Yes, pish. Pish. Mm. Uh, I fit a boot. I fitted a booster plug in my 2018 Triumph Scrambler 1200XE. I fell for the sales pitch and about the booster plug smoothing out the engine and it yes. helping it to run better at idle. Yes, I didn't notice any difference at all yes. after I fitted it. Yes, and uh, can a run a modern engine benefit from a booster plug or is it just pish? It's what mostly is a booster plug. Well, you know, a booster plug is something. It's it's all about mapping. Yeah. And Let me get to this compared to that. Uh, yeah. I also pulled out the stock exhaust and removed the cat and fitted a set of Zard pipes. Okay. It looks okay. the part, but I also wondered <clears throat> what if I read about the engine automatically retuning itself when that job is done is also pish. <laughs> well, yes. And <laughs> or, or should I have it set up properly? No. Um, thanks for the great work. I uh, look forward to actually getting into the garage sometimes. And uh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. One more thing. Fuck knock. <laughs> <laughs> Please fuck me. This is my standard reply. You, you would. Somebody, <laughs> I will fuck you if you want me to. You would love to be fucked by Ian. Does well, he say Ian where he's Nock. from in Scotland? Hey. Yeah, exactly. And 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 knock. It always helps when you have a booster plug, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those plugs. So, um, I'm going to address. You know, not just booster plugs, but you know, mm. things that. Spirally things that you put in your airbox and swirl the air about, and mm -hmm. magnetic things that you put on your fuel lines <laughs> and ionize the fuel, and it's all fucking snake oil. Dog shit. Um, yeah. 
modern bikes. Let's talk about modern bikes. How do modern bikes work? Well, modern bikes have digital fuel injection. And the way um, Ian's Triumph works, there is an oxygen sensor. In fact, two of them in the exhaust. And it yeah. reads the basically the temperature of the exhaust because it runs at a very, very specific temperature. Mm-hmm. And then when it heats up, it sends a microvoltage signal to the ECU which controls the mixture. So it's quite a precise thing. And you you can tweak the mapping. Well, what is the mapping? The mapping covers a lot of things. It covers the amount you've got your throttle open, the load on the engine, a bunch of things. The modern Triumphs are, are ride-by-wire, so there's no mechanical cable going from the twist grip to the throttle body. It's a legit rheostat, it's, huh? It's a legit rheostat. Well, my Africa twin has. Right. Mm-hmm. It yeah. is all through the ECU. And Triumph are very good with their mapping. Mm-hmm. Really good with it. And generally, every time you take your bike in for a service, if you go to a modern Triumph dealership, the very, very first thing the tech does is he plugs in his or her laptop and Triumph will give you an updated map if they found one that is better. Now, as far as things like taking the catalytic converters off, yeah, I mean, it's always quite a good idea because cats do rob power. Not those kind of cats, darling. (laughs) However, is it going to need retuning afterwards? Probably not because we get back to the oxygen sensor and the oxygen sensor is really going to really address any difference and is going to keep that mixture running well so is it pish so there's pish and there's not pish will the oxygen sensor um take care of the bike running after he's taken the cats out yes so that is not pish does his booster plug work that is complete pish together with swirly things and magnetic things and things mm-hmm. and usually the rule of thumb, if they claim a 10% improvement in performance, that's a really weird number because it's like, it's really hard to actually pin that down. Well, are we talking horsepower figures? Well, no, it's just 10% improvement in performance. (laughs) Yeah, how do you you measure that? How do you measure that? Is it it enjoyment, 10%? Zero to 60? What? Your wallet's 10% lighter. Right. (laughs) Interestingly enough, my Guzzi, I ran my Guzzi with a juice box. I ran my Guzzi with a Power Commander 3. I ran my Guzzi with a Power Commander 2 and a 4. And by far the best fueling I ever got was without anything. Just mm. going through the standard Magneti Morelli ECU. Mm. It was the cleanest running out of everything. And that bike had no airbox whatsoever. It had giant K&Ns on it. It had open Norton Commando mufflers on it. The thing was loud. And by far the best fueling was the one that Moto Guzzi provided. And interestingly enough, that didn't even have um, 
an oxygen sensor. It didn't even go through a lam- lambda sensor. It was really? all done with a with a throttle position sensor. And I did have to oh. actually advance that a little bit just to fatten it up. Real quick, Bagel. I think yeah. I need to let the dog out to go pee. I've sent you an email. Can you read that next? Sure. Thanks. While the dog's going out and peeing, <clears throat> hopefully not on me. All right. Well, I want to preface this by saying that I, I do enjoy doing accents. I never said that I do them well. <laughs> Good. Uh, where, where's this one from, Bagel? Well, this is from Ike Spohr. And uh, Ike says, Bagel, we found your kryptonite. Texas accents. <laughs> Please don't attempt for this one. Dying. <laughs> I have three top tips to share that could save your life. One, always double check your work. Two, always listen to your bike. Three, always keep a stash of redundant parts just in case. Recently, I did some maintenance on my bike that included both front and rear tires and brakes. I emailed about bleeding the front brakes recently. The rear end had no issues because I was following the three top tips listed above. The front, however, did. After changing out the tire checking the brake pads to make sure they were still good and reassembling everything, I neglected to to double-check my work. In the the day and a half that followed, I neglected to listen to my bike. Mm. Long story short, I did not check the tightness of my caliper pins with my hands and or a torque wrench to make sure they were good. Oh, I did that once. Mm. Relying only on my impact drill that was set too low. Mm. I then did not pay attention to the fact that my bike was telling me the brakes were not operating at peak efficiency when they should be after recently bleeding my brakes. Thankfully, I was able to get home alive before my left caliper fell off and my (laughs) front brakes failed. Oh, no. I had three of the four caliper pins left on the bike, and all three were loose and ready to fall off and join the fourth that did fall off somewhere never to be seen again. Ooh, bugger. Because I did adhere to tip three, I had a plethora of bolts of various sizes, and I was able to replace the caliper pin with one of those. I was very lucky, and God spared my family the pain of having to identify my body after a crash. (laughs) I'm going on a long bike trip in a little over a week, and if this had happened on the open road, I I would most certainly be dead or at the very least quite maimed. I have already purchased the proper caliper pin to replace the bolt I'm using as a substitute just to be sure everything is in order before my trip. If you do your own maintenance, you should adhere to all three tips. If you rely on a shop for, your, for, all, for all your bike work, you must, at the very least, listen to your bike. Mm-hmm. It will tell you if something is off, yep. if only you'll pay attention, and it could save your life. Ride safe. Sunny side up, and yay, knocks back. Love you, Miss Fitz. Act from West Texas. And very, very wise words. Whenever anybody collects a bike from my shop, number one, there are no power tools in my shop at all, especially on critical things like calipers. You always use a torque wrench. Mm -hmm. However, when Whenever anybody picks up a bike, especially after I've done a large job, I will always say the same thing. Look, take it easy for a couple of days. The bike at best is going to feel really different, 
but just get used to how it's going to feel now. And if there's anything that doesn't feel quite right, just come back. Let me check it out for that exact reason. Know your bike. You know, if if you're new to your bike, doesn't matter. Just roll with it. See how it feels. Get used to how it feels. But yeah, that was a that was a lucky mistake. But what yeah. what did Ike do wrong? Use power tools on the caliper. Naughty yeah. Ike. Yeah, always yeah. trust a truck wrench. Yeah, mm-hmm. can't yeah. beat yep. just good old fashioned ratchet or best of all the torque wrench set to the correct settings. Nothing power. You need to feel that click. Yeah, so, yeah. I've always like been freaked out about screwing bolts in with power tools to begin with, especially on bikes. Even if like you set on the lowest torque setting to get it nah. spinning or going, like mm-hmm. I'm just like, eh. I it's so much fun hand. to cross thread them. When yeah, you it's, way, too. <laughs> it's so yeah. much more quickly. I will use I will use power tools to take things off. Yeah, yes, but yeah, I mean, never to put things sure. on. It's an absolute mugs game. Yeah, so. Miss Emma, should should we be investing in an expensive, you know, or quality, or should just go to go to Harbor Freight and get a torque wrench from there? You can. There's this fallacy that you need a digital torque wrench, no. that you need something that beep 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 beep, you know, makes all the noises. The best torque wrench in the world is the one that, when it gets to the correct torque, it just goes click. Mm-hmm. And it's also the one that you remember to wind off the torque when you've used it. Mm. Mm. Because if you leave it cranked up, you lose the calibration. It'll mm-hmm. deform the metal over time. But certainly with with our application, because torque is critical, but not to the half pound. Mm-hmm. Go down to Harbor Freight, get yourself mm-hmm. 20 or $30 torque wrench, the kind that goes click. When it's done, and just remember, when you've used it, back it off to zero every time. Mm. If you reach into your toolbox and it's still torqued up to 50 foot-pounds, you just screwed up your torque wrench, buddy. <laughs> I yell at Liza and go, yeah. who the fuck used this Knocks last? Knox the stickler. I appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> I think I um, might need it. And, and if wrench. you need a torque <laughs> wrench to take take with you on the road, the digital ones are really good for that because they're very small. And yeah, they can be very, very small. Um, I have a quick unread, and then, Emma, you have a final one there where I think you're going to deliver bad news. We'll see. Um, But this one is from Sandra, and she says, Hello, Sandra. I just got back from two wonderful weeks in western North Carolina riding mountain forest roads on my TW200. That sounds like so much fun. T-Dub. I am riding to encourage you to spend the cash and get a (laughs) T-Dub. They Mm. do not ever lose their value. They're easy to work on. They're indestructible. Cute and could go 60, 65 miles per hour on the highway. And the tires don't ever go flat, even at zero PSI. I don't I don't understand that. <laughs> uh, she says, some years ago, I broke my ankle off-road and so have an aversion to gravel. But on my mm. T-dub, I am fearless, confident, and a badass dirt rider. So ditch the Van Van idea and get a T-dub. Um, and she says, about me, I'm a 70-year-old woman, and my big bike uh, is, yeah. a, right on. is a Tenere wow. 700. So sh- just so you don't think I'm a wimpy rider. <laughs> I love your podcast and look forward to each episode. Thanks for staying with it. Sandra, thank you so much. Oh, that's, uh, that's yeah, a great I, email. I, this, I, this woman rules. Yeah, I think, I mean. Is she single? This, the, <laughs> I think the T-Dub is, is on my someday list. The Van Van was just mm. a weird fetish idea, you know? <laughs> you got a lot of those. <laughs> I know. 
Well, shoot. I, we'll see. I might be coming home with something weird. We, we know Liza's mm. fetish. Uh, mm. I might be coming home with something weird in the next week or so. We'll see. But, Emma, we've got time for one more. We do. And this is from Jonathan in Melbourne, Australia. Australia. Hey, Jonathan. Jonathan. Yes. International absolutely. Gym. It's a wonderful name. Um, hey, guys. Just after your advice on which way to go on my 1976 Yamaha XS500C. Mm. Um, sadly, on the teardown of my engine, I found a small crack from the exhaust valve to the spark plug L on both cylinders. Both of them. Strangely, Yikes. I've also found a valve guide that sheared off at the top. No idea Ooh. how this has oh happened. My God. But there are new old stock oversized valve guides available for a replacement if that's a viable option. Mm hmm. What's so this part? bike is pretty damn rare down in, uh, here in Australia. So finding a good head for replacement is not really an option unless I get super lucky. My question is, what are your thoughts on repairing the cracks in the head? I would imagine a good engine shop could make this repair. But will it be as good as new or will it always be a weak point? How do they do yeah. it? And after repair, would I need the valves recut and the head re-machine flat also? Basically, after just after your thoughts on what's involved in the repair process and if it will be worth it, or should I keep trying to find a replacement head, even if I have to ship from the States or the UK? Let's talk a little about the XS500, or as it was known in America land, the TX500. Um, it was the first Japanese four-valve head bike mm. wow. now it wasn't the first one we know what a rudge is because i have showed up to misfits on a rudge in the 1930s um in the 1930s the bike was from the <laughs> 1930s <laughs> but rudge was doing four valve heads back then because they were using aircraft technology but it took until the 1970s for yamaha to be the first to catch up and the XS500 was the first. However, there were faults with it, which was cracking cylinder heads and oh, breaking mm. valve guides, Oops. both because it's a there's a lot going on in a very, very small area. It's only a 500cc, it's very small combustion chambers, it's quite a long-stroke engine, four valves in there, tiny valve guides, and lots of things crammed in around the plug L. Mm. Is this a single cylinder? No, it's twin. Ooh, that's a really tiny... Yes. Longer than. Oh, yes. Yikes. Um, so there's a couple of things, Jonathan, and you're not going to be happy with any of them. There is a lot of XS500s out there with cracked cylinder heads. Generally, the later ones tended to be better. The first year was very, very late 73, which was the TX500. Then the, T then the XS500A, then the B, and then the C. And I think there were a few Ds. And generally, they got better. But as you found out, you've got a later bike, a 76, and it still bloody cracked its head. If you buy a used head, there is a very good chance that it's going to be cracked as well. Um, can a machine shop do your head? Yes, they can. And yes, it will be as good as new. However, the problem is what they, the correct way to do your head is they punch out the valve seats, mm. weld up the crack, 
put the valve seats back in and then machine everything. And yes, the valves would and, need cutting. But the crack is at the spark plug hole. Yes. So just right. re retap it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it's quite a machining <coughs> job. So you've really got to evaluate what this bike is worth to you. Hold on. Why won't and JB Weld work? <laughs> <laughs> because it won't. Okay. Uh, now, just a question, Emma. Yes. How, how difficult is it to weld cast aluminum like that? Oh, it's easy. Isn't but it's all the machining that's around it. It can be a pain sure. in the ass. Except you keep blowing the breaker. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's, it's, the, the actual, the, the, the cast aluminum is aluminum. not the problem. The valve seats are the problem. The yeah. spark plug hole is the problem, and so on and so on and so forth. Um, it's not the easiest bike to get parts for. Um, have you seen how much a cam chain link is for one of these bikes, Jonathan? It's got... You actually have to split the cam chain mm -hmm. to get the cylinder head off because the cam chain tunnel isn't a long slot. It's a front and back slot. So I know he's cut the cam chain because Ooh. he had to get the cylinder head off. And the last I saw a cam chain link was a hundred bucks for this bike. Oh, this is what it's called. Oh, this is bike again, Lord. a TX what now? TX 500 mm. because it's a duplex chain mm. and nobody, nobody does duplex chains. So what you're saying is just sell, uh, sell it by a V-Strom? Well, <laughs> they are actually quite cool bikes, yeah. and the XS five hundred C. There is nothing like it on the road. It is, it's quite Bauhaus styling. It's very angular. I like them. I've had always had a very very soft spot for Yamaha XS five hundred. So, and because it's all dismantled, and it's very easy to ship the head to somebody who can probably repair it. So, do feel around to find somebody who works on these. You might be able to find someone who will do it. You For might be able to much. find somebody in Australia. You yeah. certainly might be able to find somebody in New Zealand. You know what great engineers It really is a nice, nice looking bike. Yeah, like it's a, a great Yamaha looking bike. Very Seca. slabby. Almost very like an RD and a Seca put a together. Seca, yeah. Yeah. I like them. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I think it's worth it. Yeah, it's, a, it's an unusual bike. And it has its own place in history. It really is the first production Japanese overhead cam a uh, four-valve-per-cylinder bike. It, you know, it's historically... I won't say it's a historically important bike, but it's a historically significant bike. I, I say uh, find somebody who does it and ship it off. That's one of the yeah. advantages of yeah. this internet age. You can now find somebody in the world who does it And I would and love to off. know and what Jonathan's doing about a cam chain <laughs> because he might not yeah. even have thought of that yet, of how expensive a cam chain and a bloody... Cam chain link yeah. is going to be, and if and if all of these bikes have the same problem with the heads, it's a very you know, common that, problem, right? It sounds like that would be a, a business opportunity for some enterprising machine shop to start specializing in these to well, weld them up and the, remachine them. There's a know. slight problem here because mm. there's a there's some bikes that really captures the public's imagination from day one, and the RZ three fifty that we talked about. Um, Jocelyn's oh. one is one of them. You know, mm. from day one, it was almost they were collectible bikes. Another one, Kawasaki triples, you know, H1 sure. and H2s. Collectible almost from the get-go. Suzuki GT750s, very, very much loved and revered from day one. These XS500 twins, I vividly remember 
back in 19, the early 1980s, there was a um, dealership in Luton called Coburn and Hughes that was selling brand new 1977 ones in the early 80s for like 700 pounds on the road. So, wow. you know, nobody really wanted them. So they, they were kind of not really very revered bikes. And time's been kind to them now. But hmm. I don't think there's enough out for it to be big business. But, Jonathan, yeah. persevere. You'll find somebody to do it. And good luck finding a cam chain. There you go. So um, thank you to everyone who sent in their uh, their emails, especially the ones featuring Knock. We appreciate it. Tell no. Me, tell me <laughs> why. Oh, tell me why. There it is. Oh. Send us more of why, your yeah. tell me why. Expert in karaoke. Questions. We <laughs> like it. And it makes us think, too. And we're learning stuff, too. Um, Kat, thank you for coming and joining oh. us. Oh, Kat's oh. always good company. Oh. You know you, and I will tell you something that's nice. Just like you said, it was nice to finally get the tours going again. Yes. You know what else is nice? Getting people to come back in studio. Right. And uh, this yeah. has been great, too. Because same thing. We were on ice for a long time doing Zoom, Zoom calls. So right. I really appreciate you coming down. Let's give you uh, and another I can, plug. I can actually hold his hand. Yeah. Say, like this. Um, tell everyone again how they can find out about your tours. Oh, sure. It's uh, Layout Escapes. That's L-E-O-D escapes.com. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping you're, you're quite successful. you got to make up for the previous year. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, I predict I'm with you. I think 2022 is going to be a banner year for a lot of reasons. Yeah. But the travel yeah, and tour in, tourism industry is going to explode. A lot of people, yeah, and, and whatever pent up excitement. Excitement. There yeah. it is. Let's, That's the let, word. let's see how this winter goes first. <laughs> yeah, well. So, Liza, I have an announcement. Oh, yeah. oh really? So, yes. Uh, hot off the presses. Oh, my oh. wife. Yes. AKA the Stumpy Lover. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> this is going in such a weird place. <laughs> oh my God. Has has passed her motorcycle test. Yay! Well done, Melissa. And as as our listeners already know, she bought a superb, incredible, beautiful little a bike. superb two hundred and fifty Rebel from Moto Town. Yes, um, nice, guaranteed. And um, and you won't pay more elsewhere. You will not pay more elsewhere. <laughs> now I'm super proud of her. Oh, so, as you should be. So well she to, done. She, she persevered. Well, and I mean, that's the key. It's, yep. it's you know, there, there's great value in you've just got to keep at it. Yep. And she's passed a test. So now she can actually start enjoying that awesome little bike of hers. That's, that's the theme of motorcycling, too, is you just got to be persistent. That's the truth. So and I'll tell you another fear that I have. I have a fear that that cat has to go ride home in the dark on halloween cat <laughs> i hope you have a safe ride home oh he's all grown up i don't think he's bothered i i should be all right i've, I've gotten pretty good at, at, at watching out for drunk drivers and idiots yeah. and we actually had a zombie zombie here earlier too yeah, we did. oh yeah scary. oh we had a pair of zombies yeah. pair of zombies um, the one with the backwards leg was kind of scary. That was she that, could dislocate ah. her leg and turn it backwards, and it what? she looked like, and she had the um the uh what do you call it contacts on and like the whole thing, and I'm like, okay, this is legit. 
looks fucking scary. It's creepy. Well, me the out. fact that she was accompanied by Mike, who only has one leg, <laughs> one leg as well. who looks yeah. like a fucking zombie on a good yeah, day know, because he has <laughs> well, he had that, missing. He had that scab on his arm, and I sat next to him, and I didn't see it was a. I didn't. It was like oh, yeah, and then oh, okay. It's yes, listeners, you can tell Santa Cruz is a special. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is special. Um, you know You'll where is, where actually is home, Cap? Where are you riding home to to this evening? Um, I'm up. I'm heading up into the East Bay. I'm I'm in mm. El Sobrante. I just not. Oh yes, nice neck of the woods also yeah. brandy well I, I wish you a very uneventful ride home yes nice and a big thanks again to everyone who emailed us and especially to our patreon subscribers emma have you been keeping up with the uh ask miss emma oh god yes you've got a lot of people you've been helping out i really appreciate that of you too no and the, you know it's it's fun to help people out and it's nice when i get the email saying we did it we got there. It's cool. And thank you again to you listeners. If you've made it this far, I really appreciate it. <sighs> Keep the emails coming. You can send them to RecycleMotorcycleGarage at gmail.com. And uh, if you're emailing us, I- I'm curious to see now. We've got two camps. There's the fuck not camp and there's the uh, don't fuck not camp. <laughs> Maybe we should start the fuck me can- not the, the camp. The truth is they're the same camp. <laughs> I was going to say, either way, you're in for an interesting Saturday. That's right. So I'm curious to see where you where you fall on that. Um, so I, I love think we're, not camp. <laughs> I think we're ready to get out of here. Thanks, everyone. This is Liza. Dumpy John. Emma Dalek. Cat. Ride the lightning, bitches. <laughs> Little. Bagel. And we're out of here. Cool, cool. cool.